0: It's my privilege with great excitement to introduce to you Brady Bassett. He is here this morning at Olive Branch Baptist Church as a candidate for youth pastor of our church. Uh, You have heard us speak about him the last couple of weeks. You have seen a short biography of uh, his life uh, in the bulletin the last couple of weeks. So I won't uh, reread that or tell you all of that. Plus Brady himself would like to tell you more about him. But I will tell you this, he and his wife, Laura, have a son, Benji, and they currently live in Georgia, and they are both graduates of Liberty, that's where they met, so they are somewhat familiar with Virginia, and uh, especially close to this part of the state. Uh, Brady is from Delaware, uh, his wife from Indiana, and we hope soon they can say that they are from Blackridge. So, Brady, would you come please and share with us what the Lord has laid on your heart? Thank you, thank you, I, uh, I didn't get to practice walking up the stairs but I made it up here and then I thought, I think that's probably going to be the hardest part of today, I made it up, I didn't trip, there's still a second service, I won't get cocky. Um, if you've got a Bible with you, and hopefully you do, we're going to be in Romans 5, 1 through 11, and uh, before we dive in, it, it really has just been a privilege and an honor to be able to, to be here, um, all of you that I've talked to have been so kind. Uh, the search committee, Pastor Wayne, all of you have just been incredible for for me and for Laura and for Benji. Um, Steve and I, if you haven't noticed, are actually matching today. We did not plan that. So I'd like to think, imagine how much damage we can do if we are, like, on the same page. Like, if we we have time to think about this beforehand. Like, we're going to get some stuff done with that kind of mind power there. But uh, it took me a while to kind of, I guess, figure out what I wanted to talk about this morning because I, I, I'm not really one of those people who likes to talk about myself, at least from this platform here. Uh, I, I kind of know my place that, you know, this is for the Lord to shine and I want to talk as little about myself as possible. So when I was uh, talking to Laura about, you know, really what should I be talking about right now, she's like, well, if you're telling them your testimony, you're not really telling them about you, you're telling them about what Jesus has done for you. And I'm like, you're a smart woman, I might keep you around. And. Uh, <laughs> So she's not here, I can say that. Um, Which is, it's sad that her and Benji are not here because they are the cute ones. And uh, if I needed an extra yes later, I would just be like, Benji, look. (laughs) And uh, this is, is, I'm probably stalling a lot. But at this point, um, last time when we were here, just kind of visiting, visiting, Benji was like on the best kind of behavior that he has ever been. He was smiling at everybody, he was laughing at everybody, and everyone's like, he's so good, he's great. And I'm like, that's not my child. You don't get to drive home with him. And so uh, I was right. The drive home, a lot of crying. And Benji cried too. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, what, what I'm hoping to do this morning is to show you three areas of my life that, that Paul talks about in Romans 5 that have not only changed my life, but kind of have, have influenced the way that I do ministry. And so whenever I'm one thing you're going to find out pretty quick about me is I love the book of Romans. If, I, if I'm told you can preach about anything, there's like an 85% chance that we're probably going to be in Romans. So one of the things about Romans is that it has been not so, like it's been so impactful not only for my life, but through so many of the, the great saints of history. You got Martin Luther, you got Augustine, you got Wesley, all of them had been converted or influenced by this book. So I'm feeling pretty good about today. So, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read through verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to kind of jump around and break that down. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we're gathered to hear your word. I just pray that, that, you are, that your glory is on full display this morning as I go through this passage. Just please speak to us this morning, and I, I pray the words of Paul that my words and my teaching are not of wise and persuasive words of man's wisdom, but would be a demonstration of your spirit and your power so that faith would not rest in my own wisdom, but in the power of God. So meet with us this morning, and in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to be reading from ESV. I think you guys have NIV, but uh, ESV is up there. So Paul starts off, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. a little background on me, this is probably going to be the part where I talk about myself the most right here. Um, one of the big things that has really impacted my life is as far back, as at least to high school, as I could, probably a little bit further than that, uh, I've, I've battled depression on and off, not a fun thing. And the thing with depression, some of you might be able to relate to it, is that it seems like it never fully goes away or that it's just it's, it's completely gone. So like for me, I'll have, you know, months, maybe even years where i everything seems great, everything seems fine, and then boom, there's that familiar sting of, yeah, I know you're back, I know you're here, and uh, the way that I've kind of described it to people is, you know, there's really ugly looking turkey buzzards that, you know, fly around the interstate and pick up the roadkill, like sometimes they're really high up in the sky, but then other times it seems like they're right in the, right in the thick of all of it, that's kind of how I describe it, like sometimes it's so far off you don't even think about it, and then other times it gets a little closer and you get a little, a little freaked out about it, but uh, any of you who have dealt with depression or know someone that has, you know how crippling it can be, right? And uh, one thing you're gonna learn about me pretty quickly is that my favorite preacher to ever walk the earth is an old Baptist preacher named Charles Spurgeon. So every time I preach, there's usually at least one Spurgeon quote, he doesn't work here. But I'm just gonna, you're gonna think that probably eventually like, does Spurgeon work here? Because a lot of it seems to be coming from him. And uh, that is not the case. Um, So throughout, I don't know if you know this, but throughout Spurgeon's entire life, he dealt with depression, and yet he still changed the world with the gospel. So there's this moment pretty early on in his ministry where he was uh, preaching one morning, and there was someone in the crowd that yelled, fire, And, and everyone starts panicking, and in that panic, seven people are killed, and over 20 people are seriously injured. So from that moment, Spurgeon doesn't preach for a while. When he finally comes back to preach, he uh, says to his congregation, "You will have to excuse me this morning. I have been utterly unable to study. O Spirit of God, magnify thy strength and thy servant's weakness, and enable him to honor his Lord, even when his soul is cast down within him." So at, at this young age, Spurgeon knew that Christ was the one that could truly be his source of strength, that could really be his help. Now, it took me a while to be able to say this with Spurgeon. Uh, I, I, once it started happening, uh, high school, beginning of college, I wasn't able to say this, um, but during my freshman year of college, I was going through one of the worst periods of depression that I think i had ever been through up at that point. Um, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't taking care of myself, I wasn't really eating, and uh, it was one of those things where I, like, I kind of just kept it all into myself. Like I wasn't telling anybody, my, fam- my family didn't even know about it until much, much later. And, there, and so, what, since I was staying up so, night, or so late, I would go to the computer lab at Liberty. And I would stay there till sometimes one in the morning, two in the morning, because that's, that's how late they were open. And I just didn't really want to be in my dorm. And I was walking back one day. And uh, th- this guy was walking with me, who I, I kind of knew a little bit. We, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say we were friends, but w- we had had you know, a couple conversations here and there. But he didn't really know me that well. And I didn't really know him that well. So, as we were walking, he says something that's, you know, completely catches me off guard. And it's like one in the morning at this point. And he just says, you know, man, I really see Jesus in you. And me, I say, well, I don't. Can I can I see how you see it? And because uh, he did not know this, this struggle that I was going through. So in my brain, I'm like, no, I can't be true because I know I'm struggling with all this stuff. And because I'm struggling with all of this, I don't see how I'm looking like Jesus. So, eventually, not too much longer after that, you know, I started thinking things through of, like, there's got to be a purpose in this. There's got to be a reason that, that I've, I've gone through this and keep going through it. So, eventually, I, I started thinking to myself, you know, what if what I'm going through right now is something that Jesus is using to bring me closer to him instead of pushing me away? Like, what if that is the purpose in all of this? And so... so Whenever I, I go through these kind of spells or something, I have these moments where I have to say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you to use it for my good and ultimately for your glory. So my hope is to be able to live out Spurgeon's quote, to where I can say, you know, let, in my weakness, let me honor you. When my soul is cast down, let me honor my Lord. So again, okay, amen. Amen. I'm from a very quiet church, (laughs) so I get excited when I hear one. (laughs) Hopefully, that's a good sign. As long as we're not booing, we're doing pretty good. No one's left yet. We're all right. Now, kind of going back into the passage, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the verses, Paul uses these phrases like, uh, therefore, not only that, much more shall we, more than, and, and what Paul's doing is he's pointing to things that he said in chapters and verses previously to get his point across. So by verse 3, Paul's brought us up to this mountaintop, right? I don't know if... Yeah, there's verse 3. Um, well, verses 1 and 2, it is like some of the greatest truths that we can ever hear. Like, he is giving us the gospel. Chapters 1 through 4 is showing all these amazing truths, all these amazing facts of, of the greatness of Christ, what he has done on our behalf. So then we get to verse 3. And he... And, and it's a huge deal get to verse three paul starts with not only that and we got to be thinking at this point paul you've said so much like what could be what could be more than that like what what could be greater than than being reconciled with the god of the universe to be saved by christ whatever's coming next it's got to be something unimaginable and in a way it is because we don't see what's coming next paul says not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? We rejoice in our sufferings. Paul, you just, what are you doing? You showed us the glory of salvation in our standing with God, and now you're telling us to rejoice in suffering. Now, we know from a worldly perspective that doesn't make sense, right? None of us have, have, no one has ever woken up and said, huzzah, today I still have cancer. Today I'm still depressed. Thank you, this is a great day. No one ever thinks like that. From a worldly perspective, that's not what we're thinking. The thing about suffering, in whatever form it's going to take, is that it's always painful, right? You don't like to see someone else hurting. You don't like it yourself when you're hurting. So from a worldly perspective, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out how this makes sense. Why would I rejoice in my suffering? Here I am in my mid-twenties. I still ask myself this question sometimes. So here's something that people get wrong every now and again. They believe the lie that just because you're a Christian, you're supposed to be happy all the time. That we're supposed to just be a a walking smile that all the hurt in the world, all the hurt that's hitting you is, is just bouncing off of you. But that is not true in the slightest. So to rejoice does not mean to be happy all the time. To rejoice in the Lord means that despite what I might be feeling, I know that the Lord is good, and even when my world is falling apart, I can hold on to him and he is not going to let me go. So Psalm 46, we don't really have time to, to read as much of it as I would like, but verses 1 through 3. Um, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth gives way, though the mountain be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its Swelling. So what the psalmist here is literally saying is, like, imagine if you were at Mount Everest, and you just see Mount Everest stand up and run to the nearest ocean and just belly flop on in. And you see this huge tsunami wave coming towards you. Like, common sense says, I might want to move, right? Like, I'm going to be freaking out at this. But no, what, what it's saying is that even if all of this were to happen, the Lord continues to be our strength despite what's going on around us. So that's how much the Lord loves you. So we can track Paul's argument. He tells us that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here's Paul's telling us how we can view our sufferings. We can either view them as something that, that can keep us away from God's love, or can, we can view them as a reminder that we are not home yet, and that God's love has been poured out for us. And we need to remind ourselves what Paul tells us later in Romans 8, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The, the suffering that you, I don't, I don't know all of what you might be going through, but the suffering that you are going through right now is not a reminder that God is against you. It is not God's way of saying you have really messed up and now I'm punishing you for it. It's a reminder that, that it, this bad is one day going to be swallowed up in total victory. That Jesus is coming back, that we are made for more than just this. We're going to go to a place where there will be no more sickness, tears, pain, or death. In Paul's perspective, we know it's different than how we would view it. See, Paul views suffering in view of eternity. And sometimes when we go through difficult times, don't we like to look at this one moment and say, this is my life now? This is all I'm ever going to be. This is where my identity is going to come from. How am I going to have hope in this? But Paul knows how it ends. We know that Paul it was no stranger to suffering. Just read uh, through the Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, you're going to see, the man hurt. But Paul knew that eternity with Jesus is what we have to look forward to. So the one way that I've described it to students, and uh, I guess also younger adults, or just people in general, um, how many of you have seen The Empire Strikes Back, by Star Wars, or the Star Wars movie, Empire Strikes Back? It's more than I was thinking, so that's good. Um <laughs> So here's the thing. If you haven't seen it at this point, it's been out for like 40 years, so I can't really say it's a spoiler, mo- spoiler warning. It's kind of on you at this point. Um, in The Empire Strikes Back, if you were, like imagine if you had not watched any of the other Star Wars movies and you only saw Empire Strikes Back. Like you would get to the end of it feeling pretty hopeless. Like at the end of the movie, Luke has lost his hand. He finds out that his dad is literally the worst guy in the universe. Han Solo's frozen at this point. They don't know where he is and everybody's on the run. Now, if that's all you knew, you're feeling pretty hopeless. And it's even worse if you uh, jump into Revenge of the Sith. I love Star Wars. Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna, my office is going to be filled with Star Wars stuff. Um, if you just looked at Revenge of the Sith, and you had no idea about any of the other movies, like, at the end of that movie, all the Jedi are pretty much dead. The Queen's dead. The hope of, for the Jedi has turned to the dark side. The heroes are on the run again. The Empire's building up the super weapon, and this is bleak stuff. But when we get to the end of it, we still see good triumphing over evil. When you watch all the movies, you see the Jedi win. You see the rebels win. Now, you wouldn't know this if you only looked at one particular moment, right? Or at one particular movie. Sometimes we we have this problem where we just look at this one moment and we forget all these other things that Christ already has planned for us. And one of the the things that I've even explained to my sister is that there's a difference between feeling and knowing. Like, we can feel that this might be the end, but we know that in Christ Jesus, it is not the end. This is not a feeling. Jesus Christ isn't a feeling, it's, it's, He is a person. We know Him. So, I don't know if, uh, well, well, here, basically, this is how Paul connected it. He sees, you know, this one little moment in view of eternity. And uh, Joni Eareckson Tata, I don't know if you are familiar with her, but she has a really great way of, of viewing suffering and. and if, if you don't know about her, she was paralyzed at a pretty early age. And she went through, uh, you know, depression, ups and downs, that sort of thing. And she has what's probably one of my favorite quotes ever. I don't think I have it for the screen because it's kind of a long one. But, but I love her view of eternity and how suffering is kind of into that. I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven and then in my new perfect glorified body Standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands. I'll say, thank you, Jesus, and he will know that I meant it, because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we're now sharing in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble, because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. And now, Lord, you can send that wheelchair off to hell. (laughs) And I love it. I love that quote so much. Like, what if that is how we looked at suffering? The weaker that we are in this world, the more we're going to see the strength of our Savior, the more we're going to see the need to rely on our Savior. And that was one of the most important things that I can see through this passage. Like, there's a connection from, the you know, suffering over to hope. And Paul does not overly complicated. He's saying there's a reason behind this. So let's kind of keep moving forward. What you're going to see in this here sermon is that there's so much stuff in here that this is probably like three mini sermons in one. We'll get to three one day. (laughs) Um, Now, one of the things that Paul brings up is something that I, I was always caught up in this idea that that the better person you were, the more saved you would be. Like, I was, I was in this trap of this works-based salvation. And for years, I was so afraid that I hadn't earned my salvation. So I was so afraid of, of, of living my life, getting up to heaven, and Jesus giving me the, the part for me I never knew you thing. And, and so when I, was, when I was younger, especially in high school too, I was like, God, I've been to church. I think I know you. I pray to you. I've seen every Veggie tales, I can still sing every song that they have. That's not really enough. <laughs> so I, I didn't come to terms with with really what Paul's getting at in all of Romans until I was almost in college what if our salvation is not based on what we can do for Christ but what Christ has already done for us and it's like it's something that seems so simple and yet I was 19 years old when I figured this out and uh, some of us might be thinking well then what's the point of doing good if I can just have faith good question we can look at Romans 4 and we can look at James 2 we don't have time to dive into that right now we'll save that for eventually um, but the short story is when we come to faith in Christ, the fa- faith is evident by the things that we do. So in Romans 5.1, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is one of the most important verses in this chapter, maybe even in this book. When I was younger, I would come across the word, and I would see the word justified and I'd be like, I don't know what that means, but I think it sounds good. Maybe it sounds bad." And. Uh, Eventually, I figured out to be justified means to be declared righteous by God. And to be declared righteous means that God's no longer seeing sinful Brady Bassett. But what he's seeing is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Brady Bassett. If we've been justified by our faith, and justification is a work of God, God's not going to undo that decision. And if that's not inspiring for us, Paul repeats the same idea in verses 10 and 11, by saying that we are reconciled and having already received reconciliation. And like I kind of mentioned earlier, just knowing facts about Jesus is not enough. All of the demons in hell know facts about Jesus, and I think that's not doing them any good right now. But when we come face to face with Jesus in faith, everything changes. Uh, one of, it's not in my notes, so I'm probably going to butcher the uh, analogy, but one of my favorite things, David Platt did uh, this, this imagery, and I, I've, I've said it a couple times. Um, Say if I was running late, and uh, you know, it gets to this point where like, you guys are pretty much ready to go. And I, kinda, I run on in here, and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I was out on the highway, and uh, I got a flat tire. And so I pulled over, and I started changing the tire, which was a miracle in its own self. Um, but one of the little, the little nuts or something rolled out onto the highway. So I ran out into the highway to pick it up. And then just out of the blue, an 18-wheeler comes going like 70 miles per hour, and it hits me. And you know what? It hurt. And uh, that's why I'm late, I got the tire fixed, and now I'm here. Now, if this was the story I told you, you would assume two things, right? Either one, I'm a liar, because usually when someone gets hit by an 18-wheeler, they tend to look differently than they did before. Or two, that I'm really deceived, because I'm guessing that 18-wheeler didn't hit me. So the way that I'm getting to this is, when you come to faith in Jesus, everything changes. Who you were is not who you now are. And, and you might be thinking, well, that sounds great, but you don't know what I've done. You don't, you, that, that sounds great, that can't apply to me. I can never be good enough for that. And I would say, you are absolutely right. You are not good enough for it. I'm not good enough for it either. But the great thing about Christ is that his goodness and faithfulness is my assurance that I never have to be. That because he is good, because he is faithful, I can have hope. And we know that because I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I think Paul, he kind of expects the arguments that we might be having. So he continues to point back to our past to show how Christ still chose to die for us. So in the verses that we went through today, Paul reminds us that while we were weak, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, We we, we were reconciled to him by the death of his sons. Now, one of the most beautiful sentences in all of scripture is 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Last time I checked, that was each and every one of us are sinners. So there's hope for us because he came to save people just like us. If God was willing to do this in our past condition, just imagine what he must have planned for us now that we've been brought back to him. And here's something that I hope is encouraging. There isn't a future version of you that that Jesus loves you, that Jesus loves more than he loves you right now. He's not just sitting by thinking, man, they're screwing up, but one day they're going to get to this point, and that's the point of the person that I love. No, Jesus loved you while you were weak, while you were still sinners, while you were enemies of God. He loved you to the point of death. It's not about the amount of faith that you have. It's all about who that little mustard seed of faith is in, If you can muster, if all you can muster is just this little seed of faith in Jesus, that's okay. Because Jesus can still do some pretty amazing things with a little mustard seed. And the thing is, like, we're still going to struggle. I still struggle. I see things that I do, and I think all the time, Brady, what are you doing? And uh, salvation, it doesn't depend on what you can bring to the table, but what Jesus has already brought. And I like this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in the determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us at whatever cost to him. So one last thing to kind of wrap up. I don't know how I'm doing on time. My plan was if I got you all out early for lunch later, you'd really appreciate that. uh, If you were kind of leaning on a yes or no, you're like, well, we got to lunch, so... One last thing, and we'll kind of go through it kind of quickly, because it relates pretty closely to the second point. What I see in these verses is that Jesus is enough for me. Paul, earlier, like I said, is bringing up these phrases like, not only that, much more, more than that. And, and what this proves to me is that if God is for us, who can be against us? Like, what could possibly, what, what could He possibly keep from us if He is willing to give His life for us? If He's willing to die for us while we were still sinners? don't you think that he must have something far greater planned for us than what we can imagine? Like, and if here's the thing, if he has something prepared for us, don't you think that he is going to be enough for us? So we need no other argument. We need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. We'll work on that. <laughs> Second service, hopefully. And that he died for me, right? Like, it's enough. So Matt Chandler, he once said that the message of scripture and the gospel of Christ is not that in following him everything goes right, but that he is enough no matter what happens. So when I'm going through these verses, I see that he is enough. I see everything that he has ever done to me, and I see all these things that he has planned for me, and I'm like, Jesus, this is enough. In these verses, I see that I'm accepted by Jesus, that I'm loved by Jesus, that I'm treasured by Jesus, that I am not a mistake that is just a result of a bunch of crazy atoms bouncing around millions of years ago, and then a fish walks up on land and then, boom, look at that, life. Uh, I'm not just some monkey that got lucky. Like, we, I see that as much of a sinner as I am, that was not enough to dissuade Jesus from loving me. And there's no sin that I can commit or you can commit that is beyond the cross of Christ. So we were probably thinking, that sounds good, but what do, what do these three things have to do with youth ministry? That is a good question. It was actually the next answer on my notes. I like how we're already on, you know, terms like that. What I've noticed in these three great truths, you know, hope and sorrows, the importance of faith alone, and the fact that Jesus is enough for me, is, is that earlier and earlier now, like middle and high school kids, they, they're already feeling this, right? They struggle with acceptance. They struggle with love. They struggle with, with knowing that there's really someone out there who loves them more than they can imagine. And so what my desire is, is that each and every student would know these truth, that, that every child would know that Jesus is enough for you. Like, we, his love transcends what we're capable of imagining. And not just for the students, even the adults. Like, if you don't know this, like, this is true. Like, Jesus is enough. He loves you. And, and what's really important for, for kids to know is that your goodness is never going to save you. But only repentance and faith in Jesus Christ will get that. The thing is is that we tend to just overcomplicate salvation so much. We like to add in all of these other things and think, if you do this, 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 you might be good enough. But that's not the case. There's hope for us. The things we might be going through right now is just that dark before the dawn. So we can trust his plan. We know that he is good, and we know that he's working all things for good. Now, it might take some time to see it. I'm not going to say that the moment you're going to come to Christ that that everything is going to be perfect and you're going to think, yep, all my problems are nothing now. But what I'm saying is that as you grow in your faith, as we walk together as brothers and sisters in the faith, you're going to see that, you know, Jesus' good plan really is a good plan. That he knows what we need, that we serve a good and gracious Father. So my hope is is that you would love Jesus more than anything. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to just try to embrace these truths of the gospel as we pray. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the the truth of your word. Thank you so much for these reminders that even though we were weak, even though we were your enemies, that did not dissuade you from loving us. That didn't dissuade you from dying for us. And my hope is that today someone would realize these truths and think, yes, Jesus, you are enough. For me or just be reminded that that jesus is that, that you have a plan for me so i thank you for this opportunity to to share these truths that that you have put into my life that you have inspired me with by your word and again just thank you for the opportunity to come to olive branch today and in your son's beautiful name we pray amen